0: Why to fight appetite is the subject of Dr. Hunter's message today. From the New American Standard Version, he has selected the 21st chapter of Luke, verses 34, 35, and 36. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And now let's join Dr. Hunter for his message, Why to Fight Appetite. How to begin to overcome the great big stupid world we live in. Pray with me. God, in a way, it's so weird to see those pictures in church. This is the one place where we should be able to find sanity. And so it's almost an offense that we would bring some of that stuff in here with us. But, God, we carry it with us anyhow. It's where we live seven days a week. That's where we just came from. And it's in our mind because in the world in which we live, which is made up to... Stimulate and to provide for our appetites. That is the framework in our mind that we carry around. And we bring it in here. And we use it when we look into Scripture. God, we would ask that you would move with your Holy Spirit this morning to break up that framework, to help us to see Scripture as you meant for us to see it, and not according to how it answers what we think we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, to uh, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I will be preaching from three verses of that chapter, 34, 35, and 36. This is just an introduction to the series type of message. When I say appetite, I'm going to be talking about the most general of appetites and the fact that our appetites control much of how we think and much of that which we spend our attention on. Uh, read with me. I'm just going to stop uh, in between the verses or or maybe mid-verse in order just to be able to say to you uh, what comes to mind on these things. It says, be on guard. Now, Jesus in this whole chapter is talking about the time when God will very manifestly come to the world with his judgment. Now, there have been the end of the world's prophecies for years and years and years and years. Uh, Starting, by the way, with his disciples, who misinterpreted, um, obviously, uh, verse 32, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. There are two ways that you can interpret that verse. Uh, one is that if he means a generation, i.e. 30 years, uh, of, of, a, of a group of people, then literally there came a judgment at the destruction of, Ju- of, of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. There was a tremendous change in the world. There was a dispersion of the Jewish nation at that time. But the other Greek, uh, the, the Greek word, the other English word for this one Greek word, not only means generation, but it also means race. And what Jesus could and was probably saying here was that this will all take place. Uh, I'm sorry, this race will uh, not pass away until all these things take place. The Jewish race, and so that has not yet been fulfilled. But what I want you to catch is the context. The context is Jesus saying to people that there will be a time of real trial in the society in which you live. And he's not saying that to the world, he's saying it to his disciples. Now look at what he says, he says, Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation, by the way, remember what I said hearts did last week? Hearts are the producer of thoughts, right? So he's saying that your attention, that the things coming out of your heart, the appetites that come out of your heart, be, be, uh, on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Now dissipation isn't a word that we use very often these days, but dissipation, uh, comes from the Latin word dispare, and this means, uh, to, to, um, To apart, this apart And spare means to throw. Uh, When you have a sparring partner, it's somebody you're throwing punches at. And so this literally means don't throw your life apart by frivolous endeavors. Dissipation. Things that you want to count, but don't count much. You spend, you waste your time on the things that don't count much. So he says, don't weigh your hearts down by dissipation, and drunkenness. Now, drunkenness gives us a hint as to our main problem. Our main problem is that we take the things that are natural appetites and we begin to depend upon them to satisfy us and provide safety for us. There's a very good book that was written by Dr. Grant Martin a few years ago entitled, When Good Things Become Addictive. Very good book. And in that book... He talked about the things that we naturally crave. Food, um, work, religion can become an addiction. And here's how it becomes an addiction. You begin to use it in place of intimacy. You begin to seek it instead of having the courage to face the world as the world is, and it provides a haven of safety. You think it's a haven of safety, but really, it is a prison of safety. There's a a scripture in Psalm 1710 that is best in the the King James Version. I haven't got a King James Version with me, but I remember uh, hearing... um, um, this version or this yeah, that version one time. In the New American Standard it says they have closed their unfeeling heart. Part of the process of addiction is to dull the heart. So that so that you won't have the sensitivity to the to the to the things that threaten you. But in King James it says they have become imprisoned in their own fat. Now This doesn't mean literal fat. It means that which would insulate us from the outside world. That's what an addiction does. But it becomes a prison. And the Bible is saying here, watch out for your appetites. Because they literally can be your prisons. It is saying, don't become dissipated. Don't throw your life away thinking about the frivolous things of life. With drunkenness with all that the that the world can provide for you it says with um, uh, um, and the worries of life which is the cause of addiction by the way you worry about life so much that you take you you seek refuge in the wrong things it says don't become in essence blobs who are superficial and frivolous about what they spend their time on let me tell you a story. One time, about eight years ago, maybe nine years ago now, maybe ten years ago—I don't know. The time flies. Um, I was having a very difficult time with uh, looking at the church. I have always had a love-hate relationship with the institutional church, mostly hate, because I because I don't like what institution. I don't like institutional anything. It just has a real um, uh, the, the pervasive sinfulness of man finds its ways into the structures of our relationships, and those structures are called institutions. And then they dull us to each other, because we start to rely on the institution instead of relationships. And so I was having a real tough time with the institutional relationship. And so uh, I would make, belong to a major denomination at that time, and I went to the bishop to talk about it. Now here I am, a young man with a, well, comparatively young, with a vision, you know, what the church could be, and so on and so forth, and This kindly old bishop, you know, sitting there, bless his little heart, it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, just after lunch. So, don't ever make an appointment with anybody just after lunch. It's a tough deal. I, I don't mean to be critical of this man. It was just a tough deal on him. But he's sitting there. very, very. He wants to hear me. He knows who I am, knows the ministry and so on and so forth. Very supportive, very encouraging, really wants to hear me. But I'm in there saying, man, bishop... You know that church ought to be so much more than it is, and there's just this unrest in my soul, and I'm deeply stirred. And and I just watched his eyelids go down. Then they go like, he come back, and then they go down again. Then he come back, and he was trying so hard to stay awake, but he wasn't hearing a word I was saying. And his little voice inside me said, "Hunter, that's the institutional church sitting right there." nice guy, kindly gentleman. But he's forgotten what it's like to be hungry. Forgotten what it's like to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to have a fire in your heart, to change the world. Forgot. Because he's got enough. His appetite's been satisfied. And so his dreams have gone. So, one of the ways that appetites control us is, is that if we feed them enough times, we're satisfied, but, but, we, but we lose the passion and compassion of life. Now for that, there will be a judgment even on Christians. Read the next verse with me. Look at what it says. It says, uh, the last part of this verse, Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, in response to the worries of life. And that day, that's talk about judgment day, come upon you suddenly like a trap. Now here's something deceptive about appetites. They are deceptive in their strength. Not in how they hold on to you, but how you hold on to them. They are deceptive in their strength. I'll never forget watching a program. Some of you, I think, have maybe heard this as a sermon illustration, but... Watching a program, Marlon Perkins. Remember Mutual of Omaha? The Wild Kingdom. Some of you are old enough to remember that. We used to watch it on our old Philco television sets. And Marlon Perkins would go into the jungles and you'd follow Marlon in, you know. Never had a hair out of place, by the way. Marlon always had. Anyhow, he watched, he, he showed us how they captured monkeys one day. They go out and they tie gourds to trees. And they hollow out the gourd and they put a little hole in that gourd just big enough for a monkey to stick his hand through. They put seeds in the gourds. And sure enough, we watched as the monkeys just came out of there. Saw it, looked in there, saw those seeds. Just reached in and got those suckers. Grabbed a hold of them. Now you know what happens to your hand when you make a fist. And here come These captors out of the the bushes. And these monkeys are going buck wild. I mean, all over the place. But they won't let go of the seeds. And so the captors just go up and capture them. That's what appetite does to us. It doesn't just do it to the world. That's too easy. I'm not going to sit here and talk about how bad the world is today. The world doesn't know any better. It does it to Christians. Christians spend their time thinking about acquisition. Christians spend their time thinking about how they can get more. St. Thomas Aquinas said that appetite is the inquiry into increasing what is of your nature. Now, I'm going to come back to that sentence in just a little while. But I want to tell you that the nature of the world is to focus on all the silly, spectacular stuff in the world that the world can produce. It really is. Do you know we spend $33 billion a year on diet services, do you know that 90 to 98... Now, I'm not picking on people who are overweight this morning. Weight is not the subject. Appetite is. But let's just get into this a little bit. 90 to 98% of the people who go on a diet successfully gain all their weight back. I heard a statistic. I saw. I read a statistic this, this past couple of weeks that just blew my socks. It said, we are so diet conscious... We are trying so hard and concentrating so hard and setting such a model in this country to lose weight that 80% of the 10-year-old girls in this country say they're on a diet. Now, I don't know how much I trust that. That's, that came from uh, a uh, compulsive eaters um, uh, group. So it could have been a chocolate mistaken for of zero or something like that, I don't know, but but 10, 80% of 10-year-old girls want a diet. You see how much we must be concentrating on the things of this world. Now, you say, well, Christianity doesn't have to, we never have to worry about that in the church because we don't preach about the things of the, oh yeah, I tell you what, I read a book this week that says there's an entire part of Christianity that has built a theology around our appetite. Somebody gave me a call and asked me if I would read um, Christianity in Crisis, or Crisis in Christianity, or whatever it is. Hank Hanegraaff uh, took, brought out a new book, talked about the word faith preachers. Now, I want to say before I even start in on this that I am not out to kick the word faith preachers. It's, it's just as easy to kick them as it is the world. So, please don't enjoy this too much because the whole point is to get back to us. But here, for those of you who don't know, this is, you've, you've heard the name it and claim it group and, and how, how they have theologized that God gave sovereignty of the world over to us. And that we're not sinners anymore. We are little gods. And that if you want a yacht, because God wants you to have a yacht. One of them said, i tell you why I drive a Rolls Royce. Because I follow in the, steps, the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants me to drive a Rolls Royce. Okay? So if you want an 82-foot yacht, well, 82, yeah, all you got to do is visualize it. And that vision, I love this, will pierce the veil of heaven. And in heaven it will incubate. And if you have enough faith, that yacht will materialize in your life. Well, Adam used to fly with the birds, they say. God wants all of his people to be rich, they say. Not only does he want it, but you have the authority to demand it of God they say. Don't ever pray anything according to the will of God. You demand it of God and He has to give it to you. That's theology by appetite. You know, people worry about that's some sort of horrible heresy. I don't think it's heresy. Stupidity. But not heresy. Heresy has to come up to a certain intellectual level (laughs) before it's... You know... It's just childishness. It's not heresy. It's fantasy. It's silly to think that we would have that place before God, that we would take God's place literally. I'm not here to trounce on the exegetically impaired. I'm not. I'm not. not. There have always been P.T. Barnums in pulpits. There always will be. It's not the P.T. Barnums I'm worried about. It's the people who have such an appetite that they go and they will want to hear that about themselves. Tell me I'm a God. Tell me I'm powerful. Tell me I can have anything I want. These preachers aren't bad people. They're good people. And do I believe God can use them? Yeah, I believe God can use them. You know what? The Bible says a long time ago, God spoke through an ass. And he's still doing it today. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about me. The difference is, some of us realize we're asses. And we're all the more in wonder and awe of God because he would use an ass. And we're not trying to swap our place to be a little God. If being an ass, being a fool for Christ, gives him more glory, then that's great. Do you understand, though, what appetite does? Appetite wants to mold all of the Scripture to fit our desires. Now, here is the question of the year. If you're a Christian... And if St. Thomas Aquinas of appraisal of what appetite really is, appetite is that which seeks to add more of its own nature. Now listen to me closely. If you're a Christian, then why are you still desiring the things of the world? Why do those things take up so much of your attention? I don't care what you weigh. I don't care what you drive. But I do care that 80% of your time would be spent on thinking about it. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Look at this. It says if then If you spend all your time worrying about that, it's possible you never really came to Christ. It's possible that you built up some image in your in your mind of some great cosmic vending machine in the sky. And you came looking just for the right amount of faith to put in there to get the what you wanted. And that's not God. God's not a vending machine. If, though, you have been raised up with Christ, it says... Keep seeking the things above. It's talking about a pattern to your life. There'll be a different pattern to your life. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is. Now here's the point of this passage. Look, it says, But keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That last part is the important part. When we let our appetite decide our thinking, everything becomes a mechanism. Food becomes a mechanism. Church becomes a mechanism. Work becomes a mechanism. Everything starts to become a thing instead of a person. This says, keep seeking things above where Christ is. It's not talking about a religion there. It's talking about a relationship with a person where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Let me ask you again. If you are born of God, why are you spending so much time worrying about everything other than God? Why is your appetite not toward the things of God? Because if it's true that our appetite will seek to fulfill our own nature, we ought to have a different appetite than we got. We need to develop a different appetite than we got. Maybe our hearts got converted, but our minds stayed in the world. The word repent literally means to change your mind. In Greek, it's metanoia. Noia means mind. Meta means change. Change your mind. We need to change our mind to suit our new nature, to develop a new appetite where Jesus is. The appetite for the things above. Could I say something very plain to you? Just very... I just, I'm just going to say it right at you. Okay? If you could pay off all your bills... Next week, if you could be completely out of debt and be financially secure for the rest of your life. Not a bad goal, is it? Probably a good goal. Not a bad thing. Maybe a good thing. But if you could do that, and that's what many people spend most of their time fantasizing about. Or, go a little deeper. If you could conquer the sin addictions in your life tomorrow, and you could lead a totally holy and pure life. If you could be healed of every disease for the next 50 years, have perfect health, Listen, God would not talk any more often to you then than He does right now. What's your goal in life? To hear God or to get what you want? If it's to hear God, there's nothing standing between you and that right now. Stand up and let me pray for us. God, my sense is that there there are probably people in this room that are tired of fooling with the things of this world. They're tired of thinking about it. They're tired of trying to get them. They're tired of trying to be satisfied with them. They're tired of finding out that all of the things that they thought would fill up the void don't fill up the void. And they know That there's only one thing left, and that's you. God, there may be people this morning who are ready to say, God, I want to give you my life. And I'm not asking for anything. I accept the forgiveness of sins because I know that's what it takes to be close to you. But I just want to be close. I don't need you to make me rich or powerful or famous. I don't need you to give me any more than I have. And if you want to take away what I have, that's okay too. I just want to love you and I want to know you love me. I want you in my life. That's all I want. Come into my heart. And just this week, remind me from time to time you're with me. Let me know. That's all I need. And for the rest of us God, who once knew you under those terms, and that's all we wanted. We just wanted to be loved by you and love you. That's all we wanted. But our appetites have reformed, and they have made us look at you with impure eyes, desiring to get instead of to give, desiring to have our own nature, our old nature, Satisfied instead of our new nature, that of yours, exemplified, God, come into our life. Again, fill us, Holy Spirit. Let us love the things you love. Let us have compassion on the people in need. Let us be givers and not takers. Let us be lovers and not Competitors, <laughs> Let us, God, do what Jesus did best. And that is to build people up and encourage them and to seek the places where needs can be answered and to be a part of answering those needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.